Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabisod Lohoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Malawi makes history by electing an opposition leader to the top job after a rescheduled election. South Africa's Chief Justice under increasing pressure to retract comments about the Israel-Palestine saga. And in economics news, the Nation Media Group of Kenya to reshape its business model to accelerate its digital transformation to raise revenues in the wake of reduced sales due to the coronavirus pandemic. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. Malawi's Lazarus Chikwera has been sworn in as president in a ceremony held in the capital, Lilongwe. Chikwera defeated incumbent Peter Mutarika with 58.57% of votes on Tuesday. In February, Malawi's constitutional court annulled Mutarika's poll win in May 2019, citing vote tampering. Chikwera has vowed to unite the country under his leadership. Lazarus Chakwera is about 15 years younger than Mr. Mutarika, so people will be hoping he'll be bringing a lot more energy to the job. He's got an interesting history in that he swung into politics fairly recently, having been a Pentecostal pastor and a theology lecturer, and he headed the Assemblies of God churches in Malawi and then suddenly decided to veer into politics. And since he's been in opposition in politics, he's been quite a firebrand, you know, very critical of the governing party. South Africa is heading towards the COVID-19 peak with new COVID-19 infections increasing daily. However, there's no specific indicator of which day and week the country will reach its peak. That's according to Dr. Karen Big, a public health specialist at the University of Cape Town, who says South Africa are testing and diagnosing only a fraction of the COVID-19 infections countrywide. Millions more have gone undetected and are spreading the virus, Dr. Big explains. The reality is, is that we will only know when the peak happened after the, after the fact. The peak will come and we'll only really be able to say a week or two later that we've plateaued sufficiently, our testing strategy didn't change during that time. We certainly know that the active cases in the Western Cape are plateauing. And so that gives us some hint that we are starting to head towards the peak now. But the reality is, as I say, that we have uh, diagnosed very few of the actual cases that, that are likely to be present in the country. 
Just seven months into the coronavirus pandemic, the number of coronavirus cases globally has reached a grim milestone and passed the 10 million mark with over half a million fatalities. In the U.S., the hardest hit nation, cases have reached more than 2 million with record numbers of infections recorded since Friday. In southern and western states, authorities are now re-evaluating the restrictions that had been lifted. The mayor of Miami, Francis Chariz, says if necessary, a hard lockdown will again be implemented in the city. Right now, we are penalizing those who don't wear masks. We implemented a mask rule. We're looking at potentially either reducing occupancy rates and or increasing the penalties for businesses that do not comply with the rules. So we're looking at a variety of things. All options have to be on the table, including the possibility that we may have to at some point implement a stay-at-home order. A formal complaint against South Africa's Chief Justice Mukweng Mukweng has been lodged at the Judicial Services Commission by Africa for Palestine. This follows a backlash on the Chief Justice's remarks about Israel. During his participation in a webinar hosted by the Jerusalem Post last week, Mukweng said, among other things, that as a Christian, he believed that those who curse Israel would also be cursed. This has been viewed as expressing his support for the Jewish state. Africa for Palestine's Director Mohammed Desai explained. I can confirm to viewers that we have already lodged that complaint. Uh, the first is that judges are supposed to avoid entering into political controversies. Uh, this is a very clear uh, article of the Code of Conduct. But secondly, the, uh, you, you are quite correct that there is currently a matter dealing with Israel and Palestine that is in front of the Constitutional Court. And even more problematic, the Chief Justice was a presiding, uh, was a presiding judge during the hearing just a few uh, weeks ago. And so this is the problem that we are articulating in our complaint to the uh, Judicial Service Commission. Officials of Princeton University in the U.S. have decided to remove former President Woodrow Wilson's name from some of its buildings to illustrate their disapproval of his record of racial prejudice. As the 28th U.S. President Wilson committed American forces to the First World War and helped to set up the League of Nations, but he supported segregation and imposed it on several federal agencies. Racism has come to the forefront of protests in the U.S. following the recent killings of African-American men by police. The BBC's Peter Well, students at Princeton have been demanding Woodrow Wilson's name be removed from buildings there for the past five years. The president of Princeton said that the policy school will now be renamed the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. Wilson College will instead be known as First College. And the president, Christopher Eisgruber, said Woodrow Wilson's racism was significant and consequential even by the standards of his own time. And finally, with sports news, South Africans are still waiting for the return of professional football in the country. Early this week, this, last week, the sports minister, Natim Tetwa, gave football authorities the green light to resume training. The National Soccer League is looking for a suitable area, preferably a warmer place that's not a COVID-19 hotspot, where the remaining matches of the season will be played. All 32 teams and officials will be expected to be in one area for the duration of all the remaining matches. Referee Victor Longwani is eager to see the return of football matches in the country with experienced referees in the middle of the park. We are in a tight situation uh, because refereeing is not a full-time job. Some of my colleagues are police officers. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. But we made our input to our referees department to say maybe they can divide us 
uh, and then depending on the number of leave days you'll get from your employer, then you can be released. So basically it's a 50-50 situation whereby uh, one individual has to negotiate with his employer. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. Malawi has sworn in a new president, Lazarus Chakwera of the Malawi Congress Party, who contested the Just How presidential poll on the Tones Alliance ticket, which comprises nine political parties. This means that Peter Mutarika has left the presidential office after having served the high office for five years. George Mango reports from Blantyre. Dr. Lazarus McCarthy. Chakwera, recite after me the oath of office for the President of the Republic of Malawi as follows. I, Dr. Lazarus MacArthur Chakwera, I, Dr. Lazarus MacArthur Chakwera, do solemnly swear do solemnly swear, swear that I will well and truly perform the functions of the high office of President of the Republic of Malawi and that I'll preserve and defend the Constitution and that I'll do right to all manner of people according to law, according to law, without fear or favor affection or ill will. So help me God. The poll was ordered by the High Court which sat at the Constitutional Court and then Supreme Court of Appeal for fresh presidential poll. During his address, the new president, Lazarus Chakwera, said he will save Malawians. Oh freedom from colonialism if you are a slave to tribalism. Of what use is freedom from tyranny you are a slave to poverty. No. The dream for all of us, together, to be the ones who enjoy the riches of Malawi soil, to be the ones who make the products of our industries, to be the ones who harvest the bounties of our fields, to be the ones who are served by her taxes and to be the ones who raise the skylines of our cities. Today, we too have emerged from the great struggle and marched our soft feet towards this moment of victory and justice for us all. But unlike our forebears, we have done so not just because we have a dream. We have done so because the time has come 
for us to go beyond dreaming. Chakwira now becomes the sixth president of Malawi. There has not been any word from the outgoing president Peter Mutarika. George Mhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. It remains to be seen whether South Africa's Chief Justice Mokhweng Mokhweng will buckle under the mounting pressure and retract his statement. Several bodies have criticized the Chief Justice's comments, with one having lodged a complaint with the Judicial Service Commission. During his participation in a webinar hosted by the Jerusalem Post last week, Mokhweng said, among other things, that as a Christian, he believed that those who curse Israel would also be cursed. This has been viewed as expressing his support for the Jewish state, calls for him to withdraw the statement or resign have been mounting. Nomalizo Mandela filed this report. Quoting a Bible verse, Chief Justice Mokhweng Mokhweng said, as a Christian, he's obligated to love Israel. The first base I give is in Psalm 122 verse 6, which says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And three, also Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, that says to me as a Christian, that if I curse Abraham and Israel, God, the Almighty God, will curse me too. So I'm under an obligation as a Christian to love Israel, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which actually means the peace of Israel. Africa for Palestine has confirmed that a complaint has already been lodged with the Judicial Services Commission. Its director, Mohamed Desai, explains. Uh, the first is that judges are supposed to avoid entering into political controversies. Uh, this is a very clear uh, article of the Code of Conduct. But secondly, the, uh, you, you are quite correct that there is currently a matter dealing with Israel and Palestine that is in front of the Constitutional Court. And even more problematic, the Chief Justice was a presiding, uh, was a presiding judge during the hearing just a few uh, weeks ago. And so this is the problem that we are articulating in our complaint to the Judicial Service Commission. Legal expert advocate Ben Winks believes that judges cannot be separated from their comments, even if it's in their personal capacity. That the Judicial Code of Conduct, which Chief Justice Mohueng developed and published himself, um, says that, among other things, uh, judges must not unless it's necessary for the discharge of judicial office, become involved in any political controversy. And this applies to their work within and outside the court, because judges need to be seen to be um, above or beyond political controversies so that people of all political stripes can feel that they have a fair hearing before any judge of a South African court. Political parties seem to be divided on the matter. In a statement, the governing ANC said it is deeply concerned by Mokhweng's remarks. It urged the Speaker of Parliament, Tandi Mudise, to have high-level talks with the Chief Justice. Meanwhile, IFP's Mkule Gothengo said Chief Justice Mokhweng has the right to express his views as a citizen.
to have a knee-jerk reaction to the Chief Justice's comments and analysis on the matter without taking in the fundamental issues which are important to the discourse that he is raising in itself is a myopic and ignorant view on the part of those who seek to attack the Chief Justice. We therefore fundamentally believe that South Africa coming out of its own history of apartheid should actually um, be a negotiator which brings a constructive um, input on this matter. The EFF, through a statement, said there would not be a chief justice presiding over a democratic judiciary in the country if it were not for boycotts, disinvestments and sanctions against apartheid South Africa. The party called for Mukhweng to retract his statement. Nomalizo Mandela, Johannesburg. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa, I am Collins Nusa Atuhengwe in Lagos, Nigeria. Stay home if you feel unwell, if you have a fever, cough and difficulty in breathing, seek medical attention. But call in advance. Follow the directions of your local health authority. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. It's 7.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in South Africa will resume its hearings today. The inquiry will hear evidence relating to the Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa. The Commission's public hearings were halted due to a national lockdown in a bid to curb the spread of COVID-19. Nomalizo Mandel has more. The Commission has heard evidence from a long list of witnesses since it started in August 2018. In February, the High Court in Pretoria granted the inquiry a final extension to continue proceedings until March next year. Briefing the media earlier this month, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo said the Commission will deal with what he called Phase 2 of issues about state-owned enterprises. Already there is a lot of investigation that is underway by the investigation team in regard to the public protector issues. They are continuing with those and um, uh, the evidence relating to that will happen uh, as soon as we have finished uh, phase two in regard to uh, the SOEs. Zondo said witnesses will no longer be taken through their affidavits at the hearings. When the witness comes to the public hearing, he or she is able to just confirm under oath that what is in the transcript reflects his or her evidence and then the witness can be asked questions in relation to only certain important issues and not on everything 
but the public will still be able to have access to, to, to that transcript, just like we have been doing. So nothing will be hidden from the public. But that will give us a chance to, do, to have more witnesses per day than we have done before. The Deputy Chief Justice also told the media that the application to force former President Jacob Zuma to return to the commission is still pending before the courts having been stalled by the lockdown. He added that amongst those he wants to hear from is Parliament in terms of how it played its oversight role. Normalizo Mandela, Johannesburg. It's 7.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The International Publishers Association calls for project proposals to address the damaging impacts of COVID-19 on education in Africa, with grants from the $200,000 Africa Publishing Innovation Fund available to the best ideas. Applicants can pitch their ideas via the APIF website, after which the APIF will provide a detailed application form to be filled and returned. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Brian Wafawaroa, chairperson of the Inclusive Publishing and Literacy Committee of International Publishers Association. Brian, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lola, and thank you for having us. Now, Brian, tell us more about this initiative and who qualifies to take part. Uh, anybody really who works on the continent in the area of education uh, qualifies to, to, to provide a, a solution. And uh, the idea behind the project is the Africa Innovation Publishing Fund has been operating since uh, last year. And there were quite a number of projects that were funded uh, along the same line, but uh, last year's projects were uh, quite general, including the Kukuma Library, uh, which we funded in a refugee camp in East Africa that took us for quite a number of communities there. The idea this year is really around uh, the impact of COVID-19 on learning in rural areas, particularly during lockdowns and isolation. What we found was uh, we took an audit right across our members in uh, various countries to find out how they were responding to the challenge around uh, COVID learning and lockdowns. And we found out that it had been very easy for urban communities to switch to online learning and learn from home individually uh, without teachers. But in situations in rural areas where the learners did not have textbooks, because usually um, when uh, the teacher is not there, when learners are not going to school, the only thing that is left for the student to continue learning is really their textbook. And we found that in rural communities, usually either they share a common book which belongs to the teacher or a book that they share as a group which belongs to the school. They don't have individual books. And when they are at home, we realized that there was really no way to learn. In fact, there was a widening gap between urban children and those that are in the rural areas. So we thought we would work on it very quickly because we don't know how this uh, pandemic will last. And uh, we called out for innovative ideas that we would fund to try and get uh, rural learners and communities back to learning uh, through innovative means. Now, Brian, take us through the selection process and the criterion that will be followed for this process. 
the, 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 we, we have a committee that is made up of uh, many individuals. I'm one of them. The chair of the committee is uh, Sheikh uh, Bodo Al-Khassini, who is the vice president of the International Publishers Association. Uh, there are other colleagues from uh, different parts of the world. I think we're a group of six. So what happens is after they've downloaded the form and uh, they've applied giving details of uh, what they intend to do, the committee looks at it and uh, then we invite them, uh, some of the promising ideas. And by promising ideas, we're looking at uh, how innovative the idea is, how impactful with our assistance is likely to be what is the level of reach that uh, they they will manage with uh, the objective of getting more learners uh, learning, the effectiveness with uh, regards to the use of resources, and quite a number of others, including pedagogical considerations. Then uh, we would then bring in a small group, and uh, we would then coach them uh, to sharpen their projects in terms of uh, what we are really looking for and how those projects can be more effective, then um, they would probably resubmit after that, and we would then select the final ones. And uh, with the final ones also, we would then have another workshop with them uh, to help them uh, improve their, um, the implementation of those projects, and then the funding would kick in. We don't go away after that. We remain with them uh, because we are a team of well-established uh, professionals in the sector, and we help these upcoming ideas develop into fully-fledged operations. Now, around 190 countries have had to close schools and universities, affecting more than 1.5 billion school-aged children. That's around 90% of the world's student population. How's the winning project proposal going to be used to address the impacts of COVID-19 on education in Africa? I think when you look at the staggering numbers that you have mentioned, we can only do our part in our small communities. So we are a network that is uh, right across the continent. We also work with the African Publishers Network, um, and some of us are members of that group as well as the International Publishers Association. We are located in different countries, and our reach is into those rural communities. So let's suppose somebody comes up with, for example, something innovation. I have a lot of regard for radio, for example. I was educated by radio, and um, even uh, primary health care was done by radio. And even the execution of many African liberation struggles, the information around it was passed through radio. If you look at Uganda, for example, uh, the president has just uh, initiated a project where they are distributing free radios. I'm not saying radio is the only one, but it's yet another one. All we are trying to do and what we are looking for is something that will bridge that gap between the classroom, which is no longer functioning, and the learners. It could be a textbook, it could be radio, it could be satellite uh, broadcasting, any of those. And uh, we really think even if we reach a million students in Africa because there will be quite a number of projects that will be sharing this uh, 200,000. We think by distributing them across different regions, these projects in Africa, we will be able to reach quite uh, a number of students. Hopefully.
Now, Brian, the application process is totally different from a lot of, um, you know, uh, activities or ideas or uh, innovations in terms of how people can uh, put forward their application. Take us through that. And um, you touched on, I think, the reasoning behind how it's done currently, the fact that you want to ensure that uh, um, the applicants have the right idea and, uh, you know, the process thereof. Yeah, it's, it's not like winning a competition. It's really about uh, selecting prom- promising concepts, working together to develop them, and uh, in the end have uh, a project that can have impact. So the first thing really is for them to get to the website where they will get a lot of information around how to go about that, including get that, getting that application form which uh, is a guided approach to the application. And uh, we suspect, like in the last time last year, we will have uh, many um, uh, programs. And what we have always realized is that uh, the administrative capacity, particularly of uh, innovative organizations that are based in rural areas, is not the same as those that are schooled in project development, where you get everything that is classical about a project, including assessment and evaluation and everything. But sometimes we can come across and we do an idea that is really brilliant. And uh, these people are not doing it to win awards. They are not doing it uh, in the proper way because they are not uh, uh, schooled in the classical way of developing projects. When we come across projects like that and we really feel as a committee that this is promising, although it's not presented in the professional way, those are some of the projects that we really put our effort in to make sure that uh, the germ within the idea, which is not coming through due to lack of training, comes through and we help develop those projects. So for those good projects, uh, we will be working with those people to, to really develop them into something very impactful. And when is the closing date for applications? Uh, the closing date is the 1st of July, I think. It's coming to, to the end. Brian, it, it sorry, continue. For more than a month now, yeah. It has been running for more than a month. Um, Brian, thank you so much for your time this morning. And uh, let's hope that the, these projects that you're, you're working on will be great and def- continue in Africa's development in the education sector. Thank you for having us and thank you for the great work that you do in reaching out to rural communities as well. Thank you, Brian. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's uh, Brian Wafawaroa, chairperson of the Inclusive Publishing and Literacy Committee of International Publishers Association, joining us on the line. It is it is 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Malawi's Lazarus Chikwera has been sworn in as president in a ceremony held in the capital, Lilongwe. Just seven months into the coronavirus pandemic, the number of coronavirus cases globally has reached a grim milestone and passed the 10 million mark with over half a million fatalities. And Britain's most senior civil servant, Sir Mark Sidwell, has announced that he's stepping down from his role as the cabinet secretary and national security advisor. Those are the stories making his SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. It is 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The coronavirus pandemic is a time of anxiety for most people, particularly those with existing health concerns. However, the Allergy Foundation South Africa is concerned about the potentially harmful misinformation around coronavirus and allergies circulating. AFSA notes that patients are unsure about symptoms and whether their allergies increase the risk of serious COVID-19 complications. It is therefore befitting that the annual World Allergy Week campaign, which this year runs from the 28th of June to the 4th of July, is focusing on COVID-19 and allergies. For more on this issue, we are now joined on the line by AFSA spokesperson, Dr. Candice Royal, who is also a pediatrician and allergist. Dr. Royal, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning and thank you so much. Now, talk us through some of the misconceptions around allergic disorders and COVID that need to be debunked. I think on the top of everybody's minds at the moment is is asthma a risk factor for either becoming infected with coronavirus or for having more severe COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus. And I think that's where we should start off. So looking at the information that we have to date, we don't have any studies that have shown that asthmatics are either more at risk of being infected or of having more severe disease. So this is very reassuring. The provision, though, is that the asthma must be well controlled, and that is what we as the Allergy Foundation are appealing to the public is to be aware of your allergic disorders and to ensure that they are perfectly controlled at this time. So you're reassuring people with allergies that they are not at increased risk of COVID um, than the rest of the population as long as their condition is well managed? Absolutely. There's also some concern around the use of some of the medications that are used to control allergic disorders such as inhaled corticosteroids. And we also want to reassure the public that There's been no studies that have shown that using inhaled corticosteroids increases risk for getting severe COVID-19. And in fact, there are some emerging um, data that that may in fact be protective against more severe disease. So really the emphasis is be aware of your medications, be adherent to your medications and be diligent in caring for yourself at this time. Now, does COVID affect people with uh, certain allergic disorders differently, though? Well, we've got to always consider that you may have um, COVID-19 on top of your background allergic disorders. So someone with allergic rhinitis um, 
who isn't well controlled that then gets COVID-19 will obviously have all the typical features, runny nose, headaches, uh, fever, um, not feel well, and that could, of course, progress uh, to COVID-19. We also consider that asthmatics in general are at risk of having um, symptoms from any respiratory virus. So, of course, that applies to coronavirus too. Now, just looking at the symptoms of, uh, you know, allergies and COVID-19 and the similarity in some of them, um, which is a great concern. Let's talk about that and, and how people can cannot get uh, too apprehensive about the um, symptoms being allergies or, or COVID-19. Um, should a person react and, and get tested? Uh, what should be the procedure? That's an excellent question. And I think... The most important symptoms to look at is fever, body aches, uh, tiredness, and the loss of uh, taste and smell, which is is very well known to be associated with COVID-19. This is not; these are not typical symptoms of asthma or of allergic rhinitis, and so that's an important distinguishing factor. But um, if you're not sure, it's always best to seek advice from your healthcare professional. What's the most important message for allergy sufferers right now? I think we at the Allergy Foundation are just um, appealing to um, all those who suffer from chronic healthcare conditions, particularly allergic disorders, to be aware of what your disorders are, to make sure you're using your medications appropriately, to be very vigilant in um, maintaining all the measures we are undertaking to avoid coronavirus, um, infections such as social distancing, wearing a mask, um, hand washing and use of hand sanitizers, um, but not to be fearful. As long as allergic disorders are well controlled, you're not at more risk than the rest of the general population. Dr. Royal, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Candace Royal, pediatrician and allergist and spokesperson for the Allergy Foundation South Africa, joining us on the line. It is 7.37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. At 7.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. 
African Bank is fast becoming a pioneering data-driven South African organization through its commitment to upskilling and employing brilliant data scientists. More from Mark Schroeder, Chief Sales Officer at Explore Data Science Academy. I must get that question every time uh, I, I talk to someone around us, but um, maybe I could explain it quite briefly in the context of you know, everything that is analog is becoming digital. Everything that's digital is becoming stored, and everything that's been stored is being analyzed to make things you know, more efficient, uh, to gain better insights. Um, and with this proliferation of data, there's a number of tools that are now available, um, I guess, to, to the general public. You don't need to go to university to uh, understand these tools. And it's the application of those tools within data in a scientific manner that produces insights which are valuable to businesses. Now, Mark, you've teamed up with African Bank. Tell us more about this partnership. So uh, the partnership is now heading into its third year. We've been running it for two years. And essentially, African Bank approached us to build out a data science academy for new entrants into uh, African Bank. Um, They saw the value of of data science and how that would make a difference uh, from a competitive uh, nature in, in what is a very competitive market. Um, and, and to that extent, we built out a curriculum, which is a, a year long, uh, where students come onto our campus, um, spend six months learning the fundamentals of data science, and then work on real-world problems for African Bank, which go into production uh, immediately and consequently generate uh, a good return on investment for African Bank. And I must say it's been a very successful partnership uh, to date. I've been trained uh, approximately 50 uh, young graduates who have gone on to work within uh, the African Bank Center of Excellence. Now, Mark, could you explain to us a little bit more about how data science is used in the banking sector as a whole? Sure. Um, I mean, I guess data science has applications across all industries, specifically mm-hmm. within the context of a bank. Um, you can imagine how, uh, how much data is, is obtained that isn't used. So I could give you a brief example, um, and it could be propensity to take a credit card based on the current status of your home loan and your spending habits. Now, if I was a salesperson in the bank trying to get people to take credit cards, um, to sign up for a credit card, if I had this information, I would be far more accurate in terms of my targeting, targeting my market as well as allowing uh, my risk mitigation uh, or, or, or team to allow for credit much easier because you've got more insight and it's more directive. All right. And uh, who can be trained by the Explore Data Science Academy? So effectively, anyone. Um, we've got a very meteorocratic application process. So we recruit students based on an aptitude test. You log onto our website, uh, you pass an aptitude test, we then give you a coding boot camp a test for your ability to sort of uh, uh, learn something digitally online. And then we ask for a, uh, a brief uh, interview with you to see, you know, are you willing to learn? Are you hungry? Is this what you, what you want to do? Uh, to give you some context, we probably have about 16,000 applicants uh, every year. Wow. And they get filtered into various uh, sponsorships um, or, or cohorts. Um, obviously, African Bank uh, is one of those, and that models work really successfully. So we don't check your matric results. We don't check your university results. Uh, it's, it's totally open. And, you know, we believe you don't need to have a university degree 
in order to be very successful in, in a modern-day technical job. And just in terms of looking at the industry, would you say there are enough data scientists in South Africa? You know, I, I guess there's, there's a number of stats out there and it's undersubscribed by like 100 to 1. But maybe I could just give you some examples of our absorption rate. Sure. So we train, we train over 100 students a year. This year, I think we're training 250 students. Um, we sit at a 93% absorption rate. So what that means is a, a candidate comes through our program and 93 of them are employed in a high-paying job within, within three months of graduation. And an average starting salary we've seen move up from 360 to 420,000 rand over the last two, last two years. You know, for me, those are stats which, which um, shows the significant demand for these skills uh, in corporate South Africa particularly in the financial services space. And lastly, Mark, what, in, what is the Academy's plan for the next five years or so? <laughs> We've got some really ambitious goals. You know, we want to get 5,000 students through our campus into meaningful uh, careers. Um, to that extent, you know, we, we've built out campuses both in Cape Town, Johannesburg, as well as Durban. Um, our courses are actually also available online to get to a, a broader market. Um, and to that effect, you know, listeners across Africa can can log on to our, our website, uh, www.explore-datascience.net. Um, right. But our courses are available to uh, the general public as well, where they can log on, pass the same test, and pay to do that, uh, that same course. That's uh, Mark Schroeder, Chief Sales Officer at Explore Data Science Academy, speaking to Samora Mangesi. Sony Music Entertainment Africa and Celebrity Service Africa have announced a new joint venture which will facilitate existing artist brand opportunities and develop new talent on the continent. It's the first of its kind in Africa. CSA Executive Director Davin Phillips elaborates on the collaboration. I guess it's just been a kind of organic process. Um, I'll be honest with you, I think mainly through the, the way traditional media has been impacted through mobile growth and just with both uh, trajectory and I think just with Africa just in itself being more connected. Um, the opportunity just prevented, presented itself now. I've working where both organizations have enjoyed working with each other for some time uh, from the various artists that uh, CSA has managed uh, who have been signed to Sony. Um, for that talent division. And then on our brand side, where we work with a variety of multinational brands, we're always looking for disruptive ways to integrate brands into those who influence culture. And uh, Sony does have a great portfolio of artists, so it just seems like a great holistic approach. And how long is this partnership for, Devin? It doesn't have a set time. I mean, we signed a joint venture, um, and the intention is to basically unlock both networks and resources so uh, for the definite future, uh, it's about creating opportunities and the more results we can bring to talent, the longer the JV goes on for. All right. And could you explain to us a bit more on how this collaboration will benefit both companies? So I think it brings uh, different skill sets and resources. Um, as I've alluded to, CSA has enjoyed working with a variety of uh, brands, multinational brands. Um, and I think brands are looking for innovative ways in which they are able to get their products or to stand out of the clutter in the kind of the media landscape. Um, and from outside, we're always looking for innovative ways to partner with uh, the creative industry. 
And from Sony's perspective, uh, it's great. It just gives them opportunity to, you know, uh, broader reach to work with brands. Um, and the same side, um, I think from CSA's perspective, it gives us a bigger access to a roast of uh, great talent. And uh, how is this venture intending on reworking the entertainment marketplace for Africa specifically? So I think historically, uh, the entertainment industry or the artists, you know, if you if you reflect on their management, it's always been uh, those are family and friends. Uh, and these individuals, while at the base of trust, they might not have been uh, schooled in the, the professional way of uh, contracting or understanding the IP or kind of pivoting different commercial opportunities. So the idea really is, is that it's opening a marketplace that if any talent or creative individual has an idea, that they're able to present an idea and have the support structure where they have access to uh, basically pitching the ideas to brands and at the same time where their interest in IP is protected. Um, there's nothing new that of this nature in terms of the U.S. as being a lot more of a mature marketplace. But the idea is really to bring these resources and these networks and these professional skill sets that really allows the talent's interest to be center stage and then obviously pivoting them into different commercial opportunities where ultimately I think our game is we want artists to you know earn money while they are sleeping that is not only based off if they're performing. Um, so it's just creating different opportunities for them where their legacy uh, and their livelihood is sustained. That's uh, Davin Phillips, Executive Director of Celebrity Services Africa, speaking to Samora Mangesi. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life, life by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.50 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine.
Our economics update up next with Tabi Soluhuku. Good morning. Zimbabwe has suspended trade on the stock exchange and mobile phone-based payments to address what President Emerson Mnangagwa's government called criminality and economic sabotage. The decision to suspend mobile payments will hit the economy hard as more than 80% of all transactions are conducted on phones due to a shortage of banknotes, according to central bank data. In a statement, the government spokesperson, Nick Mangwana, said the move which takes immediate effect, was part of efforts to arrest the slide of the Zimbabwe dollar, which has sharply devalued since its introduction, reintroduction rather, last year after a decade of dollarization. Simon Muchemwa reports. In a move that is meant to curb externalization of foreign currency, restore financial discipline and fight inflation, the Zimbabwean government on Friday suspended trading on the stock exchange and mobile money. This left millions of citizens puzzled as Zimbabwe relies more on plastic money and mobile transactions owing to a cash crunch. However, government alleged there was at least 8 billion Zimbabwean dollars in circulation yet to be accounted for. Government further alleged that the stock exchange was fueling inflation and externalization of foreign currency, although evidence was yet to be availed. EcoCash, a subsidiary of the country's biggest mobile money provider, Econet Wireless Zimbabwe, defied the suspension as a wrong ministry had made the announcement. Channel Africa spoke to a respected economic analyst, John Robertson. Botswana needs a total of 3.40 billion US dollars over the next two and a half years to revive its coronavirus hit economy and to cover expected budget deficits. Botswana has a relatively low number of COVID-19 infections with only three active cases remaining and one death, but the economy has been severely impacted by lockdowns to curb the outbreak with the budget deficit expected to more than double as reduced diamond sales and exports hit revenues. Industries earmarked for investment include agriculture, health, infrastructure, transport and tourism sector, which has ground to a halt due to global travel restrictions and a nationwide lockdown. African Bank is fast to becoming a pioneering, data-driven South African organization through its commitment to upskilling and employing brilliant data scientists. Chief Sales Officer at Explore Data Science Academy, Mark Schruder. Every time uh, I, I talk to someone around us, but um, maybe I could explain it quite briefly in the context of, you know, everything that is analog is becoming digital. Everything that's digital is becoming stored, and everything that's been stored is being analyzed to make things, you know, more efficient, uh, to gain better insights. Struggling petrochemicals producer Cecil has appointed advisors to sell its stakes in a power plant in Mozambique and a gas pipeline running from the country into South Africa. Cecil, the world's top producer of motor fuel from coal, is trying to shed assets to pay off its debt pile and avoid a rights issue of up to 2 billion US dollars but has not previously flagged the Mozambican assets 
as up for sale. It has appointed South Africa's net bank to manage the sale of its 50% stake in the Republic of Mozambique Pipeline Company. The joint venture operating the pipeline that runs 865 kilometers from Mozambique into South Africa. Boeing is expected to begin flight tests of its 737 MAX this week in a bid to see the aircraft return to the skies. Boeing's best-selling aircraft was grounded last year after two crashes killed 346 people on the flights. The tests are a milestone for Boeing, but even if they go well, months of further safety checks will be needed. The US dollar is trading at 384.27 Nigerian Nara, 11.61 Botswana Pula, 105.51 Kenyan Shilling and 18.15 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, we start off in Brazil. One US dollar will cost you 5 real 48. In Russia, 69 ruble 67. In India, 75 rupees 27. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 7 yuan 7 and in South Africa at 17 rand 25. The US dollar is also trading at 81 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Gold $1,752, platinum $791 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is $40.65 a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amika na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or WhatsApp on plus 277-6300-3327. Tweet us at Channel Africa One. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Inganyezi by Mondli Ngobo. Keep safe.